Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Today, we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47, after Peter finishes preaching his first sermon, and the people respond to the message by what? By getting baptized and joining the church. It's not part of the podcast today, but in this service, a bunch of people got baptized and uh, took the next step in their faith, and it was an amazing, amazing event. So with that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nate and part five of his Acts series, What Happens Next? Well, hey, we're in uh, we're in a message series on the uh, on the book of Acts. Where we're walking verse by verse uh, through it. We'll see how far we get by Easter. Uh, my sermon will. I'll do my best to shorten it. Uh, we've already had so much. We've heard like six sermons already, which is pretty awesome. Um, so uh, let me just bring up the speed. If you if you haven't been with us, uh, we're actually walking through the book of Acts, which is a history book that's found in the New Testament, and we know that the book of Acts is actually. Uh, written by a man by the name of Luke, and he writes to tell the story of the early church and what happened. In the opening message we saw in chapter 1, Jesus has resurrected, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and there to wait for the Holy Spirit. Second part of chapter 1, they go to Jerusalem, and while they're waiting, they're praying, and they make a decision to replace Judas, who's the disciple that betrayed Jesus. So they replace him, so we learned about how they made those decisions. Chapter 2, they're praying in the upper room, the disciples and a bunch of other followers of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descends as promised. They're speaking in tongues, all this crazy signs and wonders are happening, and this huge crowd gathers. The second half of chapter 2, Peter stands up in front of this huge crowd of people in Jerusalem, and he preaches the very first sermon of the early church, and we heard Todd talk about that last week. And it wasn't that funny, but anyway... uh, we're going to uh, Acts chapter 2, so we're going to pick it up at the end, the tail end of the sermon, um, and we find here in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, this is, so Peter is wrapping up his, his message. Now, this is the part of the sermon where the keyboard comes in. And so as some of you know, like sometimes here on Sunday, we'll have the keyboard come up kind of for the last closing idea. So this is Peter's last closing idea. So, you know, imagine, cue the music, and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. So this is pretty good. It's like pointing to Jesus. That's a great way to end any sermon. Okay. So he's pointing to Jesus. Now I highlighted this word because uh, I need to explain something to you. Um, maybe just nerd out for just a second when it comes to Bible translation. So, uh, you, you, most of you will know this, but the Bible wasn't written in English. The new Testament, in fact, the book of Acts was actually written in the Greek language and then translated into Latin and then translated into English and translated into French and German and all these other languages. So uh, when they were translating, and we all know what translating means, right? So you take the word in the original language and you go, what's the best word in English? And you translate the word to an English word. One of the things that, that uh, they did when they were translating the Bible is there are certain words that they didn't know. They were like, how do we translate this word into English? And if they couldn't find the word, they did something called transliterate. And all they did was made a new word. They made a new word. So this word, Christ, some of you thought that was Jesus' last name. It's not. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. And it means anointed one. And, and that has all kinds of significance in the Old Testament. That God would send his anointed. That God would send a king. Kings were anointed. Priests were anointed. So Jesus is like the one. And all that gets lost. And we just go, Jesus Christ. It's like part of his name. 
So they transliterated. So this isn't, this is made into an English word. Does that make sense? The reason why I'm pointing that out to you is because we're going to see that happen again in a few verses. We're going to have another word that's transliterated. It's not actually, it wasn't an English word until they, they created it. So he's closing his sermon. Imagine the pads are playing underneath. And he's like, hey, Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And then he does the thing that I don't know is a good idea for any preacher to do. Here's what he says next. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Just imagine, hey, welcome to Pathway Church. We're so glad you're here. God loves you, but you killed Jesus. You cru- just turn to the person beside you and say, you killed him. And like, that doesn't go over well. That's not a good closing. Like, assuming that the people that were there listening to Peter actually didn't drive the nails into his hands, which we assume they didn't, that would be offensive. And assuming that they weren't part of the crowd that cried crucified him, that's still offensive. <laughs> like, you killed Jesus. You killed the anointed one. You killed the son of God. That's how he closes his sermon. I'm not expecting a great response. How about you? I'm expecting people to be offended, to be like, oh, I'm not listening, and walk away. But look what happens. This is, this, is what, this is the miracle in the whole situation. The next verse, it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Something on the inside of them broke. Have you ever experienced being cut to the heart? Maybe you're super mad at somebody, and you're just furious because they just wronged you, and then you're just like, ah, and then all of a sudden you realize that it was actually you that wronged them, and like everything does that 180 in your mind, and all of a sudden you go from anger to sadness. Maybe I'm the only one who's done this. Uh, But it's like something breaks on the inside of you. So as Peter is proclaiming this, you killed Jesus, something breaks on the inside of these people listening. Something softens in their heart. They're cut to the heart. Something changes on the inside. And they don't respond by being offended at this. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Their response was like, you're right. We didn't drive the nails into Jesus' hands, but people like us, sinful people who God came for us and we turned away and walked away and did our own thing. We heard stories of that. It's like, I heard God calling. I wouldn't open the door. Like, yeah, we did that. That was us. And so they actually acknowledge it. And this is really, really important. If you understand, it's that uh, it's actually the work of God that does this inside of each and every one of us. They say, what shall we do? There's sort of two, two ways that change happens. One is what I call moralism. And moralism is like when you're told that's the wrong thing to do. And so you're like, I know I shouldn't do it. And you're like trying to do the right thing. Good Christian rules, all that. Nothing wrong with rules. Nothing wrong with morals. Those are fantastic things. But if that's all it is, that's a problem. See, what the Holy Spirit does and what we see here is he brings conviction. And conviction is when you want to change, something breaks on the inside. And honestly, that's what I want for us as a church with people gathered in our services and people gathered as part of our community. I don't want everyone adhering to some really strict rules and and like trying to be good Christians. I want their hearts to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want something inside of you to break, to go, I don't even want to do that anymore. And then you take a step and you move in a new direction. So there, this is all happening on the inside of them. And they say, what shall we do? And notice what Peter says next. He says this. He says, repent, which is a fancy way to say, Turn around, go the other way, think differently, act differently, like, change directions. And then he says, be baptized. Now, you may not be surprised to tell me that this is also a transliterated word. In the Greek, if you were to read a Bible in Greek, when you came to this text, you'd see the Greek word baptizo, baptizo. And it means to dip or to dunk or to submerge in water. Now, you can imagine as you're translating the Bible, you're like, okay, so there's this special thing that the early church did. And they repented and were dunked. It's like, that doesn't sound right. 
And so because they couldn't figure out, they just transliterated the word. So that literally, they, he said, repent and be submerged in water as a sign of your faith in Jesus and a sign of your changing in directions and repentance, right? That's what this was today. They're changing directions. And he says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, I want to I want to move on to the next verse. We'll try and keep this going. Verse 39, he says, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Notice this phrase. I highlighted it because it's so important. Nobody comes to faith in Jesus through their head. It's a heart direction. It's something that the Holy Spirit does. God calls you. So, yep, there are people here today that, that made the decision to follow Jesus and made the decision to get baptized and repent. But this is the big idea here. Peter's like, even though you're doing that, it's actually God that calls you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a church where it's all head. I want to be in a church where the Holy Spirit is working in his people. Do you know, there are, I've said this before, there are Sundays when I show up here, and I do a lot of the speaking, as, you know, as many of you know, and there are some Sundays when I walk off stage and I think, I nailed it. Like, I just, I'm like, that was a good sermon. I think I'm going to listen to that. Like, I, do, I literally, I just think, man, that was, that was good. Like, I actually hit a home run there. And you know what's funny about that is that whenever that happens, I'll talk to people after church and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't get, and then there are some Sundays where I come up here so humble and so broken. Like, I just, I'm like, I, I got a text, I got an idea, but it's just not coming together. I don't feel like this is, like, I, I'm just not delivering any A-plus material. And I walk off the stage discouraged, wondering if anyone got anything. And you know, it's those Sundays that four people come up and they're just like, you know, as you were talking, this verse came to mind. When you were talking, something broke over my life. And I'm, li- I'm like, I said that? That's the Holy Spirit at work. And it doesn't matter how good my sermon is. It doesn't matter if the keyboard comes in under just the right moment and it stirs emotion. None of that stuff matters. It's the Holy Spirit that calls people to himself, that changes, that draws us, that, that, that convicts us of sin, that leads us to change. You guys with me? This is so important because that's exactly what we see happening here as Peter preaches this offensive sermon. You killed Jesus. And they're all like, what do we do about it? And he tells them to repent and be baptized because God is calling them. And then it says this. I love that this is included. Luke's like, and Peter said a whole bunch of other things. Give a preacher a mic. Let him go. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He's like, act now. Move. Change. Do something. He's just like saying a whole bunch more stuff. But then notice this. This next verse says this. So those who received his word, not everyone in the crowd listened to Peter. Not everyone was convicted. Not everyone repented. But those who did receive his word were what? They were, they were dipped, they were dunked, they were submerged in water. So I remember reading this for the first time when I was in Bible college. And of course I had read this like many of you. And it shocked me because as I read it, I thought, where was the baptism class? When I was a kid growing up in church, you had to take classes. Like you had to, they had to know that you knew what you were doing and what it meant and what the symbolism was. And I thought, where's the class? These people who got baptized, and you're going to see in just a moment, there was 3,000 of them. These people who got baptized, they had never even been to church. Blew my mind. I'm like, wow. And, and the reason why I think that's so important is that they were baptized immediately. If you go to the next slide, they were baptized immediately. Like there was no, there was no waiting around. There was no sorting stuff out. There was no classes. There was no theological education. It was like, believe in Jesus and get wet. Doesn't that seem weird? That's exactly how the church started. 
It was God is calling you move. God is calling you do something act. That's what it was. And this is really important because baptism, and this is what, this is what dawned on me. We go to the next part of this. Baptism is the first step in your faith journey, not the final step. And over the years, as I've talked to people about baptism, they'll say, say, Hey, have you been baptized? No. Like, why not? Well, um, I've still got some stuff going on in my life. I haven't achieved a level of Christendom. It's like, wait, you're, you're missing the point. It's the first step. It's not your graduation at a college spiritually. It's your first step. It's the first thing you do. It's like, well, yeah, I've got an addiction or I've got this relationship issue or I, or I don't know enough Bible theology. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't even know what transliteration was. So I shouldn't get baptized. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're missing the point. It's the first step. Baptism actually represents being reborn in the spirit. How many of you were present at your birth, your physical birth? <laughs> Everyone should have their hand up. You were there. I assure you, you don't remember it. And it's probably a good thing that you don't. But here's what I can assure you. You had nothing to do with it. You were there. Your mother brought you into this world. And if, and if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you didn't do that. God brought you in. And so getting baptized isn't like, look, I've arrived. Look what I've achieved. I'm a Christian. It's actually you going, God made me his son, his daughter. I am arrived because he brought, he did this and I'm acknowledging it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why it's the first step and not the final step. So if you're here today and you're like, Hey, I want to get baptized. Well, stick around. We have another service in an hour. Um, we could fill this tank up again next week, but we'd rather do it next hour. Um, it's the first step. It's the first step, not the final step. Let's continue. This is the other part of the verse that really jumped out at me when I was in Bible college. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay? So what this means is the church grew extremely rapidly. I think that's on the night. The church grew really, really rapidly. Uh, let me show you the numbers. Chapter 1 and 2. There's 120 Christians in an upper room praying. The end of chapter 2, they've added 3,000. Let's see if we can do the math. 3,120 people. As a pastor and a leader, my eyes start twitching when I think about that. You just added 3,000 people who've never been to church, never taken a theology class, and they're now all part of the church. They've been baptized. Who's leading their small groups? Who's taking care of the kids? Right? Who's the brand new Christian running the VBS? Pro? Like, it was it's crazy. Like, think about it. Like, when this church started, we had like, after the first year, we had like 70 people. And when we grew over a few years to 150 people, it was like, it was crazy. We had to like hire staff. We had to put a board in place and we had to like organize teams and leaders and we had to volunteer stuff. And it was like, we're pulling our hair out, trying to figure out how to manage it all. This makes my eye twitch. Like, how did that happen? How do you have all these brand new Christians, the church growing so, so rapidly? And so the question I want to ask for the next maybe five minutes, and then we'll wrap it up is simply this. What happens next? A bunch of people added to the church. They proclaim their faith in Jesus. They receive, they repent. And now you've got all these brand new Christians. And what happens next? Here's what happens next. It tells us in, in verse 42. And they, all of the church, new and old alike, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's a fancy way of saying they read the Bible. They read the scriptures and the apostles were teaching them. We now have it in, in the Bible. But they were reading the Bible. They were learning about the things of God. So they were doing that and applying it. Then it says, and they... Devoted themselves to what? Fellowship means spending time with other people of shared faith. That's what this means. Now, I think it's a great idea. You should not have only Christian friends. You should have people that you associate with and friends outside of the church community. 
But some people have no close friends within the church community. They have no fellowship. And there's something powerful about doing life arm in arm with other people of shared faith. It was a must. This was something they devoted themselves to. They got in small groups, whatever that looked like in their time. They, they did community. They served one another. They loved one another. We're going to see that in the, in the coming verses. To the breaking of bread. That's eating meals. Now, they ate meals together as part of their Christian faith, but this could also mean that they were sharing communion, right? We call that breaking of bread. So they were remembering Jesus as they ate together and fellowshiped in their faith. And lastly, and the prayers. They prayed in the temple courts daily. There was prayer meetings going on. They prayed in people's homes. They prayed privately. So if you're like, hey, I'm a Christian. What should I do? Do this. This is a really good idea. Read the Bible, get into community, share meals with others, remember the Lord and pray. I think that would be a great way to grow in your faith, don't you? And imagine if everyone did that, how much progress we would see in our spiritual journey. And here's what it says next. And awe, or some translations say fear. Fear came upon every soul. Now, this is in reference to the people of Jerusalem. All of this is happening. So this church is meeting and all these people are, are joining the church. And the people of Jerusalem were concerned. They saw it. It was, it was transforming the city. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to see uh, Peter and John healing a blind man, doing this incredible sign. And one of the things that we're going to discover is that signs and wonders, which I believe we can see today, they point to Jesus. And they're going to heal this guy, but they're just like, Jesus, Jesus, they're pointing to Jesus. That's what we need to do, right? It's not about, it's not about all the signs and wonders, but it's about Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that next week and learn all about it. So all of this is going on. And then uh, here's the last couple of verses. And we'll wrap it up with some application. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. <clears throat> Without being told or taught, these people who were coming to faith in Jesus started to be generous to one another. And what this means is they began to share. It's like, oh, I got three coats and you don't have one. Here's a coat. I've got some food. You don't come over to my house and we'll have a meal together. That's what was happening and it wasn't mandated, give this much to the church, do this for other people. It was something. And so their, their new faith resulted in a growing generosity. By the way, that's one of the signs that God is at work in your heart. When all of a sudden you start caring about others more, because that's what God does. When you start wondering, how can I help others? How can I serve others? I mean, if you're here today in church and your biggest concern is about you, there's some growth that needs to happen because... As you grow in your faith and as you get to know God who is so generous, you will become a more generous person. So we move on uh, to the last couple. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together. Here's, here's the thing that jumps out at me. Their Christian faith wasn't a Sunday thing for an hour. It was a day by day thing. Their faith impacted every area of their life, every day of the week. And that, that challenges me to go, is that true of me? Is that true of you? Does your faith touch you every day? Is there something about your faith in Jesus that impacts your daily Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And lastly, it says this, and the Lord added to their number. So not only are they already a mega church, over 3,000 people, that qualifies, but the numbers are being added day by day. So the church is growing. And this is the thought that I wanted to end with and just give you a couple of, of things that you can do practically. And it's simply this, that the church grows as you grow. Because the church isn't an organ, like the church is an organization, but that's not the real church. The church that Jesus came to start is actually a community of people who love and follow him. And here's the thing. This church, 
we'll call it Pathway Church because that's the name we go by. This is this community. We grow as a church in our in our influence, in our love for our community, in our impact around <clears throat> our city and the world as you and I grow. That's it. It's not a spreadsheet thing. It's a heart thing. And as each of us grows closer to Jesus and grows deeper in our faith and grows in love and generosity, guess what? The impact of this church and more people can come and all of that stuff happens. So how do we move forward and grow in our faith? I'm just going to point out three questions that are all coming from the text that I think are are really good markers for us. Here's the first one. Are you reading God's word? Like, if you go to school and you take, I don't know, let's pick a class, trigonometry, and you go to one class for one hour a week, how good do you think you're going to get at trigonometry? It's going to take you a long time, isn't it? But if you're doing trigonometry and reading and practicing every day, guess what? You become very proficient. And this is true of God's word. Like, open it up every day and read it. And it'll be amazing what will happen. God will start to speak to you more, and you will grow in your faith, and you will have all kinds of uh, progress. Okay, so are you reading God's word? Here's a second question. Are you becoming more generous? We already talked about that. Is that a reality? Are you more generous now than you were a year ago, two years ago? That's a great question to ask for moving forward in your faith. Here's the third one. Are you in community with others? And I don't just mean like being in a group where you kind of receive, but are you giving something back to other people? Are you sharing your life? Are you sharing your love? Are you sharing the resources you have? Are you in community with other people? And here's the last one. Are you praying? So I wanted to encourage as we close. Um, anyone who got baptized today and you're wondering, okay, I've made this big step. The first step is take, now there's all these other steps, right? Step two, step three, step four, step 5,000, like all of the steps that go. Do this, do this. Read the word of God. Be in community. Like not just, not just show up, but be in community. Know and be known. Love and be loved. Support others. And pray. It's been a good morning, hasn't it? And I want to encourage you, whether you're just here observing today, if you want to grow in your faith, I'll tell you what, you're not going to grow in your faith just sitting in the chair every Sunday. You got to get, you got to get engaged somewhere. And this isn't a volunteer recruitment strategy. It's just like, hey, plug in. Ask someone where you can help. We'll get you to work. And it, something incredible happens when you serve, along other, serve alongside other people and give of yourself. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Just, just to stop and go, what does it look like for you and me to take our next step of faith and grow? Maybe you've done this. What's your next step? All right. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for this morning. We pray over each life. Uh, that went through this baptismal tank, professing their faith in you. We celebrate that with them. We want to encourage them. We're so thrilled to see them take that first step in their faith. And God, we pray that your spirit would lead them and guide them as they take their next steps. And we pray protection over their hearts and minds in the days that come. And Lord, we pray for every person in this room. As we go from this place and we celebrate next steps, Lord, would you by your spirit point out what our next step is for each one of us? so that we could continue to grow in our faith. And by doing so, the church would grow, the kingdom of God would grow and impact the world. And so God, we thank you for this morning. We celebrate it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.